Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And welcome to Antiques Freaks. It's a magical time, a famous time, the podcast time. What antiques are we talking about this week? You know, I've been kind of on a roll with getting interested in something that I hadn't heard of before or maybe hadn't lent any thought to, and then immediately realizing upon finishing all of my notes and research that you are going to fucking hate it. But it's too late to back out now, so why don't we talk about Blanco Art Glass? I mean, we do have other friends who podcast that you can call. Well, okay, I don't know that you'll hate it, but it is (laughs) mid-century. Oh, great. (laughs) So you'll at least feel a strong distaste, but you know. It's just that I know you weren't researching it right up to the very second this call began. (laughs) So like there was a gap where you knew, oh, Ken's gonna hate this. And yet, you still... <laughs> Look, I, I finish it, and then and then I'm like, cool, now I'm gonna make macaroni and cheese. And then, I load up my notes, and the first thing I say is, like, mid-century, and I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, he hates that. <laughs> I just... My mom was talking in Blue Streak about Blanco Glass, and I was like, gesundheit. And she was like, you're the least funny person I've ever known. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and that was hurtful. But then it occurred to me that I've been, like, fringe aware of Blanco Glass, and I guess it's on a major upsurge right now. Because there's a taste shortage in the country? Well, no, it's because of, actually, kind of following with our predictions for 2024, they're really brightly colored. So this is less mid-century and more mod? It's definitely on the mod version, yes. Okay, I can tolerate a mod. It has a really long history, so there's definitely, like, mid-century versions, but the appreciation for it seems to be more for its modern sensibilities. I think you're going to enjoy their history. It certainly made me laugh. So Blanco glass is a type of art glass, which is any handmade, generally hand-blown glass. They're actually best known for a square double-lipped water bottle. Do you know of which I speak? I pretty much stop absorbing information at Queen Victoria's death. Okay, yeah, she was pretty well dead by the time he started making things. Uh, let me show you a picture. For everyone else at home who's like, I can't see that... <laughs> I I mean, get used to it. This is a podcast. So what we have here is something I would definitely add to the um, baseball bat pile. The baseball bat pile. Okay. Where I having to sort through, uh, (laughs) if I had to sort through a big pile of old glass, this would be in the baseball bat pile. All right. So (laughs) Ken's putting this in his batter up section. But um, it's a very vivid shade of blue. Cerulean, I believe it is pronounced as. Oh my. Yeah, it's like a Victorian medicine bottle lost all of its personality. (laughs) If you put an interesting person in a rock tumbler and then envisioned them as a glass vase, that's what this would be. Like if you just buffed someone's interesting personality until it was smooth and benign (laughs) and then made them into a glass vase. It would be this. Okay, well, hands up if you thought that Ken wouldn't get quite so philosophical in his description of this vessel. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. I'm sorry I'm like this. They're iconic. Not to Ken. Well, they're iconic of Ken's rage. I feel like you say that whenever you don't know how to describe what something looks like. You just say it's iconic. I don't know. It's, It's a square bottle in a beautiful bright hue as Ken has described with a very wide neck that gets wider at the top then is flanged to have two spouts on either side. Yeah. A Victorian medicine bottle minus any personality. In a bigger neck. A personality extraction often enlarges the neck. It's true. You have to make the neck larger so you can fit the personality out. Yeah, you gotta pour it right out out of one of the two available handy spouts. Yeah. Well, uh, Blanco Glass was founded by William J. Blanco, huge surprise, in 1921. 
After the failure of several other startup companies, three rapid fire. And yet this is the one that stuck, which does make me wonder just how bad his other ideas were. Okay, well, he came very close to the precipice in the 1930s. Really? Was something happening? <laughs> yeah, something Yeah, something was happening, actually. Huh, wild. So, Blanco had actually started out primarily providing sheet glass pieces for stained glass creation, as well as rondelles for other glass manufacturing needs, usually just more stained glass. Rondelles are rods of glass that are used in all kinds of glass crafting. Notably, they actually provided a ton of glass for the St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York. Easily one of the cathedrals I've been to. Yeah, I was there with you. It was beautiful, but extremely weird. I feel like that could be a subtitle for our podcast. Oh, that's nice. I like that. So, something happened in the 1930s. We don't know what. We may never know. They were calling it the Big Sad, I think. Yeah, some kind of major economic event of some kind. And wouldn't you guess it, stained glass creation, some of the most opulent and beautiful architectural adornment, was just not popular right about then. Was it considered in some way superfluous? A bit, a bit. People just didn't have the money or time for enormous sheets of handmade glass sheets with which to make windows. So Blanco had to adapt and they had to adapt quickly. So they took the glass that they had and the recipe for the glass that they had and they just started making tableware. This is probably why it started out being simple and extremely colorful. And over time, working very hard, starting with really basic designs, eventually Blanco, who had actually made and sold all the glass by himself until 1923, had hired on some master glass blowers, and after the 1930s, started hiring on designers, who started taking chances with another man's business like all good artists should do. Over time, Blanco evolved into a simple yet modern sensibility, although it is always going to be best known for its huge, bright, vivid variety of colors and the high quality of its construction. Not unlike Mission Furniture, quality and form and color. As I understand it, Mission Furniture is what you buy when you can't afford shaker furniture, but also can't develop the taste to get something that doesn't look like shaker furniture. Uh, you, I, now I'm, you're, I'm being triggered. If you would like me to get better furniture opinions, support us on Patreon. <laughs> $5 will actually make Ken like a piece of Mission Furniture. I cannot be so easily purchased. Oh no, it's only for five minutes. You'll think about it positively for five minutes. So you're gonna have to like throw in a lot of fivers. Oh, okay. So we're a dollar a minute. I will appreciate Mission Furniture. Yeah, we're gonna need to see some washing tones on the table. That sounds doable. <laughs> now, when I mean huge variety of colors, boy, I do mean a huge variety of colors. In fact, the entire spectrum, basically, although they didn't do a lot of brown, which is unusual for a glass company. And not even just solid colors, they also did speckled bits and amberina fades, although they called it Starburst. And it was in no way equal to the quality of Mount Washington amberina. Very few things are. Am I back in your good graces yet? Yes. Okay. Uh, you're always in my good graces. You're my friend. <laughs> Despite my terrible opinions. You can have bad opinions. It's okay. We all still respect you. I don't know that you're entitled to speak on everyone's behalf, but thank you. Oh, I am. Saw it in a dream. Oh, okay. Now, <laughs> one thing that was not mentioned a lot, but does make a lot of sense, is that the older Blanco glass, and by that I kind of mean anything before 1970, should not be used for food. In their defense, that's true of a lot of glass pre-1970, because <laughs> in 1970, the United States realized, hey, maybe we should make it illegal to make food stuff out of the metal that kills you. Well, actually, they're completely safe to use. So why shouldn't we use them for food stuff? Is it not lead poisoning? 
Have I been led astray? So I mentioned before that the original recipe for their stained glass windows was what they used for their tableware, right? Yes. That means that it wasn't crafted to withstand, we'll call it anything other than incidental moisture. So the thing about a window is that at least half of it's gonna be outward facing and the outward facing part of a structure is generally where the weather happens to it. And some of the weather, as I understand it, is wet. So their windows could not withstand moisture? They could withstand incidental moisture. What I'm talking about is when you leave water in a vase for a week at a time. They could get wet, but they couldn't be wet a lot, which is a thing that happens when you wash your dishes, which I hope you're doing. So they can withstand a rainstorm, but they cannot withstand flooding. Exactly right. Okay. They stain super easy. It is not uncommon to find Blanco pieces that are completely water sick. Is that what they call it? It sounds so cool when you say that, which is why I said it. Water sickness is just when the water has over time, water's got a bunch of different stuff in it, and over time those deposits kind of fuse with the glass. It's very difficult to impossible to clean off, and it creates like a cloudiness in the glass. Water sick. And it is called sickness. It is called glass sickness. Water sickness if it is kind of on the yellower side, because it's directly due to heavy metals in the water. Water sickness. Yeah, glass can get sick. Well, we knew that from our marbles episode. Yeah. The only way to fix it is to sand it. And uh, Blanco, I wouldn't sand it. <laughs> no? I mean, no, because we're talking these values are in the hundreds and someone will get, they'll put you in the bat pile. Oh no. <laughs> Now, another cool thing about Blanco is that they are actually still operating today under the ownership of a Blanco. And in fact, they actually still made sheet glass and architectural glass until 2020 although in lesser quantities than their tableware. Was there another event in that year? You know, there was a thing that happened. What I'm learning mostly is that stained glass as an art form is extremely susceptible to bad times. (laughs) So it would seem, yes, but frankly, aren't we all? That's true. But there is definitely a cult vibe around the appreciation of Blanco glass. You can say that about a lot of antiques, so you can't put that all on Blanco. I judge that by the amount of weirdness I run into when I learn about it. On a scale of one to Taylor Swift plates. So, not quite that bad. No one was falling to their knees in the savers having encountered a Blanco? They do do that, actually. Okay, so it sounds like we're on par. We're kind of, we're getting there. It's just that when people talk about their Blanco collections, there is a tenor in it that reminds me of someone talking about a beloved infant that I don't get to, like, encounter very often. So we're at Reborn's level weirdness? We're a little bit nearly Reborn's level weirdness, yeah. Okay. And I'd say the prices follow that. Although it's hard to blame people, the colors are extremely vivid. You're talking a glass company that regularly put out pink and purple, which are very difficult to make. And a little bit like Ray Dunn, because the people who are fond of it are fond of the modern stuff as well. Now, if you want to collect Blanco glass, boy, you got a lot of options. They made a lot of stuff. At least three. You got three options. You can get glass, glass, or glass. No one rides for free. Fuck, I gotta make that for Kurt. <laughs> our, our friend of the museum. Our friend of the New Bedford Glass Museum. Oh, fuck. I've got to call him and be like, I'm making you merch and you can't stop me. <laughs> and you don't have to pay for it. <laughs> Making bumper stickers that say glass, glass, or glass. Nobody rides for free. <laughs> my my glass head's out there. Do you want it? Let us know at antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. Operators are standing by. <laughs> I would say Blanco is one of those situations where you do kind of have to winnow down on what you want to collect. 
Otherwise, you're going to have a lot of glass. And maybe that's the kind of life you want. We're not judging. That's fine, if that's how you want to do. That's a lie. I am judging, but my opinion shouldn't matter to you. I don't live in your house. I... That you know of. Uh, who? You checked your walls lately? Ken is inside your walls. <laughs> now, Blanco is a double-edged sword, where it is usually pretty reliably marked, but the markings are not reliably useful. <laughs> So they might as well not be marked, it sounds like. They might as well not have done it at all. Uh (laughs) Fantastic. So the earliest stuff, which you again will only see on sheets and rondelles, is the Eureka Art Glass Co., which is what it was called before they just named it Blanco. Now, specifically what I was talking about is a silver foil hand sticker, which is one of the most common markings from between the years of 1930 and 1982. So for 52 years, they used the same mark. They did. So you can narrow it down to a 52-year span of the company's life, is what I'm hearing. Very true. Which might be useful, um, given that, of course, they do still produce glass even now. Mildly useful. Um, The problem is they are also stickers, so they came off a lot. And also, I feel like an enterprising villain could put new stickers on. Well, here's a funny thing about that. There are a lot of unused rolls of that exact sticker just sort of kicking around. We got a lot of sticker dead stock on our hands. Blanco ha- seems to have had a philosophy that when it came to stickering their product, you- they would buy a massive amount and use it until it was gone. Great. And they don't seem particularly concerned as to how it got gone. Also great. <laughs> so yes, there's dead stock of the stickers out there. If you want to do crimes, we would tell you not to, because we are legally required to tell you not to do crime. Their current sticker, which is actually the silver hand sticker that either has the website and phone number on it, both of which are defunct, and are still being used to this day. Okay, so they're still using- they're putting stickers on their product now that link to a website that they no longer keep up? Correct. Incredible. They have a different website now. But they haven't- they haven't changed the stickers. These were all printed in 2000 and the exact wording is they will continue to use it until it is gone. Okay. (laughs) I mean- (laughs) Okay. (laughs) At a certain point, I think we are being penny wise and pound foolish here, but I don't own a glass company. (laughs) I've never made anything in the numbers that I needed that many labels, but I think I would want to be a little more conservative in my ordering of labels. Or at least a little more conservative in my decision to have a different website made. Yes. If I am unwilling to compromise on replacing the stickers, I think I would instead compromise on replacing the website. Yes. Don't worry, though. They also have what seems to be an inexhaustible supply of the same sticker, but without the website and phone number. So I was going to say if the sticker has the website on it, that's probably a good indication it's not from the 1930s. But now we have, we have introduced the new stickers that don't have the website that are still being used. You can still identify them because they're still the size of the sticker with the website and phone number. So it was kind of like the silver hand and then the website above and the phone number below, all encased in clear plastic around the hand. So the ones that don't have it still have the clear plastic, which is unique to the 2000s. Okay. And to now. I can't get over that for they had 24 years of stickers, but... What an incredible bulk deal they must have gotten. Like, they must be paying a penny per roll at that point or something. I think if I were the manufacturer, I would just be like, just have it, bro. 
God damn, you need it. You need stickers more than anyone's needed stickers in the entire history of our sticker company. At that point, I'd stop producing glass and start producing stickers. They really should be a... Like, there's clearly more demand if my own company is any proof. Only to make things worse and more confusing, they also just started sandblasting the logo on at, at random intermittent times. From 1958 to the summer of 1961, which I saw multiple times, which is very specific, they would sandblast a Block B followed by a Lenko Blanco. They still had stickers at this point, because they'd used them till 1982, so I don't understand the sandblasting. And then they bought new stickers and <laughs> said, by God, we might not have this website anymore, but fuck me if I'm not going to use these goddamn stickers. Um, they also had, again, the same Block B Blanco as a sticker from 1982 through 1999. So that's when they ran out of the silver foil hand stickers and they said, fuck, I need more stickers, like, stat. I just... This is really a story about stickers. <laughs> do you want it to get worse? It can get worse. Oh, please do. During the span of World War II, which I have to point out is between the years of 1930 and 1982. Yes. They used a paper silver hand sticker instead of the silver foil hand sticker which they definitely had now was this because of war rationing and you couldn't just have silver anymore but the silver is already in the stickers that you've purchased in again inconceivable bulk so you can't like melt it down but you also can't use the stickers because you're not supposed to be using silver at this point so you just have to keep the stickers in reserve until the war is over that seems to be the case yes incredible amazing in 2001, and just for 2001, they would go back to sandblasting the Blanco in the bottom. <laughs> just for one year special. For one entire year. There's a ton more of these, like, one-off signatures that were, like, between two. I didn't want to do all of them. I just did the ones that I thought were really funny. <laughs> if you're a Blanco head and you want to know the deep nitty-gritty, I'll give sources at the end. You'll, you'll be so all in your feelings about it. Is that what the youth say? <laughs> I don't know that that's how the youth use that phrase. So what can you do to identify Blancos if the tags are a confusing mess? There's three things. Step one, get better taste. <laughs> Step one, stop buying it. No. <laughs> Overall, all of these signs will just boil down to comparing it to the designs in the catalogs, which is simple, and paying attention to marks that it's handmade. You'll be looking for mild imperfections, such as tooling marks, bubbles, and striations in the glass. You will be looking for intense clarity. One of the things that Blanco is best known for and how it actually sort of gives off a luxurious look without looking outwardly that much different from other hand-blown glass is that it is almost always completely transparent and colorful at the same time. So translucent then. No. Yeah. It is translucent in my opinion. Well, because that's literally what translucent means. If, it, if you can't see through it perfectly, if there is color in it, then it is not transparent. It is translucent. All of the experts seem to agree that the word for it should be transparency because you can see perfectly through it except that the color is different. Do you agree or not? Write in antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> I prefer to just stick with clarity. It's extremely clear. And the pontal marks. Blinko, very specifically, would have a visible pontal mark that was fire polished. Fire polishing, if you don't know, is when you take a finished piece and you put it back in the oven and gently buff out sharp edges. So the pontal mark is left on to be somewhat dimensional to hallmark that it is handmade, but it is polished down to still be sleek. 
None of these are hard and fast, as more designers would come through and more artisans. You find a lot of pieces that break the rules, change the rules. For example, the water bottles we were talking about way earlier are extremely polished and do not have a visible pontal mark. Ultimately, the best advice I can give you is to refer to the color. The colors are super well documented, and over time I feel very confident that you could develop an eye for the richness and shade of color that seems to be very unique to Blanco. And, mercifully, since this company does still run, their website just has a list of all the catalogs, which will make comparison pretty easy. So many stickers. Now, usually I would talk about reproductions. A big, a bigger issue is misidentification. Really? Why? I don't understand. <laughs> Please explain your sarcasm. Because all the goddamn stickers and the back and forth and the 50 year span and the sandblasting for one year only and just how? <laughs> Why? Why have they done this to me personally and specifically? Well, the real answer is just that there were a lot of companies that were located pretty close to where Blinko was operating and uh, everyone just kind of plays design telephone in these situations. Notably, you have Indiana Glass, Rainbow Glass, Pilgrim Glass, Bischoff. These are all best known for having simple mod designs with bright colors, which is why they get misidentified pretty frequently. And all of them have pretty inconsistent or difficult identifiers. So if you enjoy arguing with other people over $100 pieces of glass and what company produced them, this might be the hobby for you. And there are a lot of people willing to do it. There are forums. Oh, fantastic. Again, um, this really just comes down to paying attention to the details, like clarity, weight. Blanco is actually best known for, again, not consistently, but generally around a quarter inch thick, especially around the rim. We're talking Megan the Stallion thick. I knew as soon as you said thick and rim that something ribald was going to erupt from your mouth, and yet I did not predict this. I referred to a sometimes ribald rapper. I did not say anything ribald. You showed me a music video just this past week. <laughs> but I didn't play it on the podcast, so... I've done nothing ribald, sir. <laughs> There's also just the experience of uh, differences. There is a famous copycat petal bowl. That would be a bowl that looks like a flower with petals from Indiana Glass that is very similar to the Blanco version, but it has more petals and they are deeper cut. Rainbow Glass and Pilgrim Glass also frequently have textures that do not show up frequently on Blanco glass. Blanco's whole thing is kind of simplicity. Even the textures that they use when they use them are very simple. And companies like Pilgrim Glass will have intricate cuts and kind of like, um, I don't, I was gonna say microwaves, but that's really confusing. Little wavy pattern. There you go. Other things you can use um, in terms of little details, ground stoppers in items like bottles or something that would have a stopper. For some reason, the other companies just did not grind their stoppers very frequently. Grind stopper sounds like a Charles Dickens villain. It's me, ground stopper. And I'm here to put an end to you, orphan. <laughs> so you got your master's in literature studying Dickens, did you? <laughs> I did. And my this is my evil apprentice, Slime Badman. One of these days we're going to get you to read a book. Any wow, putting me on I read books. <laughs> It's just not his. Sorry, a book other than Warhammer. Shut up, fucking <laughs> I'm getting you fucking Blanco next Christmas. <laughs> Specifically getting you the water bottle. You've been so mean to me. You had every opportunity to ask anyone else to be on this episode. <laughs> 
We have so many wonderful friends who love mid-century antiques. But you're not one of them, and I will use that to torment you. You can't put me in the torment nexus and then get mad when I torment back. Hey, I had we had a delightful discussion about stickers. <laughs> Alright? All right? Don't say I never did nothing for you. Uh, as for reproductions, uh, the one reproduction you really have to look out for is the water bottle that we spoke of multiple times now. If, for example, there are Blanco repros of this made by Neiman Marcus, I wouldn't worry about those because they are marked Neiman Marcus and the date. They're Neiman marked? They're Neiman marked ups. <laughs> and the other thing to look for, other than just general poor quality and very opaque glass, would definitely to be weird ship and motifs molded into it. I see a sailboat a lot. They never made any with that. They never made any with any kind of motif pressed into it. Just all very blank, very boring, devoid of personality. Yeah, I mean, Ken might prefer the sailboat version. I mean, you know me. But that is a reproduction. I, I know, that's why, that's why I picked the sailboat example. Because I knew you, your little, your heart would clap really briefly because it heard the word sailboat. It heard the word sail and boat combined into a single word. And it was like, there's probably men on those boats. And then, you know, you just- And that modicum of joy makes the torment nexus hit all the sweeter. (laughs) And that's what I say all the time. (laughs) Now, would you like me to leave you off with a poem? I mean, the only thing I love more than mid-century design is poetry. Yeah, that occurred to me. Um, I, I was just gonna leave you with- At what point in this process did that occur to you? <laughs> I am I, desperate Because I, I love poetry. What, at what point were you like, wait, my best friend hates mid-century antiques, and I'm going to suggest him to a full calendar hour of mid-century antiques. Okay, but- But you know what'll make this go down much more smooth? His next favorite thing, poetry. You know what is I thought is my, my best friend loves to learn? <laughs> And I thought you'd be here with me on this learning journey about something that I frankly hadn't thought about before. And so, to get back at you, I'm going to read the last two stanzas of what is a surprisingly long poem called To One of America's Oldest Hand-Blown Glass Companies by Andy Pratt. When was this written? Your influence has been shared nationwide, from antique stores to fireplace mantles. Thy own house is a mirror of colors, to save Amethyst, Jonquil, and Ebony Hughes. Tangerine ruby and emerald textures, too. A rainbow dwells inside these walls. Stemming from thy Lake Zurich home to the pot of gold inside the factory, it keeps expanding every day, as does the line of glass figures waiting patiently to be snuck into my room. What? The end. <laughs> Why did any of this happen? What? Why did any of this happen? <laughs> Because I got curious, and it's your problem now. <laughs> now that's the subtitle for the podcast. <laughs> the sources for today include beefdaily.com dot vn. <laughs> Don't ask me. The PBS short documentary Blinko Glass: The Collectors. Atomicranch.com. They have a lot of articles on the subject. Collectorsweekly.com, Art Glass Blanco, Journal of Antiques.com, Feature, Blanco, Uniquely American Modernist Glass, Love to Know.com, Vintage Blanco Glass, Handmade Glass That'll Blow You Away, BlancoCollectors.com, which does have a fantastic set of resources, especially for comparing colors and various, various different markings, and Blanco.com. <laughs> 
Now, is that their current website or their defunct website? That is their current website. <laughs> Fantastic. You won't find it on their stickers. It will not be on their stickers. If you would like to suggest episode topics or just say hello, you can email us directly at antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. You can post on our Facebook group or antiquesfreaksfriends. You can tag us on Tumblr antiquesfreaksoctumblr.com or you can check out our Instagram at instagram.com slash antiquesfreaks. God, you need to get into auctioneering. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to share your sticker collection with us, feel free to scroll on down to wherever you're listening to this podcast and not do that and instead leave us a review for the podcast. I was going to give it five stars until you told me you didn't want to see my sticker collection. You might leave. And then leave five stars anyway. And then leave five stars anyway, because you can show us your sticker collection. Just not in the review. We received a lovely review from Mag Johnson, who says, Who's your favorite antiques podcasters? (laughs) With who's your spelled like the cabinet we love so well. Oh, oh, my heart. Ken and D, of course, really appreciate their general knowledge, but also their fun approach to each topic. And yes, I guess in a certain way, <laughs> unbridled hatred can be fun. <laughs> <laughs> See? See? Uh, everyone is understanding. <laughs> you gotta get someone who cares about mid-century auntie. You gotta find somebody. <laughs> you gotta set me free. You gotta let me go. <laughs> You get a ton of emails where it's like, leave Ken alone. Stop making him listen to this. <laughs> I think we're like, we're going to get a lot of emails where people volunteering to guess on the podcast so they don't have to they listen to me shit on the things they love anymore. <laughs> Please, someone who's really good at something Victorian, come on the podcast. Save him. <laughs> and if you need more Antiques Freaks in your week, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks, where every week we read and review a chapter of the Victorian Penny Dreadful Varney the Vampire the Face to Blood, where I subject D to my special interests that they don't give a shit about. <laughs> I give a shit. I am just frequently baffled by it. Special thanks to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. So much love. And thank you in particular for listening. That's right. You. Au revoir. Goodbye. <laughs>